Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. My guests this week, Chris and Bridie Elliott, are father and daughter. Chris is, of course, Chris Elliott, the star of the film Cabin Boy, a regular on Everybody Loves Raymond. These days, one of the stars on the TV show Shits, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Shits Creek. The man behind so many memorable Late Night with David Letterman characters, the man who lives under the stairs, Chris Elliott Jr., the Morton Downey Jr. parody. Uh, and, of course, his Marlon Brando impression, in which he, at one point, dressed up as Marlon Brando, held a bunch of bananas, and did a weird dance. Sort of a prancy dance for a little while. We'll talk more about that later. Wouldn't want to let that slide by us. Bridie, Chris Elliott's daughter, wrote and directed a new movie called Clara's Ghost, which you can buy and rent now. It's a family collaboration. Bridie also stars in the movie, along with Chris, Bridie's sister, Abby, who you might know from film and television, including Saturday Night Live, and her mother, Paula. And in its own way, it is also kind of a horror movie. It's the story of the Reynolds family, who live in a secluded mansion in New England. Chris's character, Ted, is the patriarch, a comedian who's past his prime. His daughters work in show business, too, but like their dad, their careers aren't exactly sparkling. Then there's Clara, played by Paula Elliott. Clara is not a performer, and she also finds herself at the butt end of a lot of jokes around her family. The movie takes place over one night. Clara has discovered a ghost that only she can see, and the ghost, at least at first, kind of adopts a life coach role. Like in this scene from earlier in the movie, the Reynolds family is eating dinner, and Clara just broke a nail. Oh, 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 God, oh, wow. Jeez. What happened? Broken nail. Oh, your pinky nail, your coke nail. My mom really enjoyed cocaine. This woman in her day, she was a snowplow. <laughs> it was advertised as a healthy alternative to alcohol. Uh, I'm sorry, sweetie. I don't remember cocaine advertisements. Weddings, funerals, you name the place, the woman had coke on her face. Uh, she had a little vial around her neck that she was always. <laughs> Bridie Elliott, Chris Elliott, welcome to Bullseye. It's nice to see you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Bridie, when you decided to make a film with your entire family, did you set out to make a deeply upsetting, terrifying (laughs) film with your entire family? (laughs) No. um, Not really. Uh, I knew I wanted to make something that was a comedy or something that was kind of veiled as a comedy and was something else, um, which I thought was going to be inherent with all of us. And pointing the camera at my mom to kind of open that up, I think. So it's my sister and my dad and I are kind of the entertainment of the movie or whatever. And the soul of the movie is my mother and uh, the isolation of motherhood and... um, but yeah, I kind of thought that as a indie filmmaker, you know, oh, well, my family are 
actors. Why don't I just put them in something and we'll shoot at the house so we don't have to pay for it and it'll be easy. (laughs) (laughs) And it was never, you never thought of it as a comedy, did you? No, I mean, I wanted it to be funny and I knew that that would be part of it, but I also wanted to, you know, I love horror movies and I wanted to play in different genres and I thought, you know, Putting it in one location over a course of a single night allows for a lot of different th- stuff to happen. Um, and I guess sort the, of like the, the the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf uh, yes, kind of yes evening of just getting more and more inebriated and chaotic yeah. and people's masks falling off and that's those are the kind of movies I really are drawn to and it's you're you're just seeing characters kind of devolving to their um, most terrible selves. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I tweeted something about you guys coming on the show, and someone mentioned your dad being on an episode of, I want to say Third Watch. Is that right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Where he played uh, some kind of terrifying murderer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're draining someone's blood. (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that. draining a woman's blood. I remember that. And they're trying to find out where she is. Yeah. And I won't tell them. Yeah. Yes. And it occurred to me that, like, the distance between your dad's comic persona and something that is genuinely terrifying is very narrow. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, your dad's kind of weird, aggressive grotesquerie. I mean, even as a fan, for me, like, it upsets me sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Eagleheart was incredibly violent. Like, Mm-hmm. Super disturbing at mm-hmm. times. <laughs> well, I, I think the persona that I've developed over the years is there's always this sort of seething psychopath underneath the surface. And, you know, it's been funny because – and we were talking about like Rosemary's Baby. Like I think had I been an actor back then, I would have auditioned for one of those witches in that <laughs> in that house because they were funny but also horrifying and also scary. And, and that is sort of I, I think now that I look back on my career kind of what I do. And it is a lot – in Clara's Ghost, where you play the same thing, and so does Abby, where these tuned-up, negative, ugly versions of ourselves representing sort of the bad, ugly side of show business, the the egotistical side of show business. And um, that's what I enjoyed about doing this movie, was that I was able to actually do (laughs) what I have been doing for so many years. You know, Bridie, I had a question for you, but this setup from your dad is too good to miss because I have a clip of him doing the banana dance on Letterman. (laughs) (laughs) This is Chris Elliott being Marlon Brando and doing a dance that is, I mean, I would say like most dances are visual things. Right. And this is in some ways a dance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think like maybe you could call it a flump. Yeah. Like a rhythmic flumping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's take a listen. Now this evening, ladies and gentlemen, the fellas, Ringo and the fellas and I have put together a little something. It's uh, called my famous banana dance. Um, And it's something that I uh, perform on my island regularly and I perfected some years back. And before we perform it, I'd just like to say before we do it that we hope we do not offend. All right, now just one moment. Let me prepare for it. Let me throw out the bananas here. I'm going to put them right here. All right, fellas, you ready? Okay, on you. Go ahead, Ringo. Hit it. Here we go. All right. There we go. 
bananas. There we go. Bananas. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of become my uh, thanks for the memories. That's, that's, <laughs> that's uh, that theme <laughs> Alley Cat has played whenever I wa- do a walk-on now on talk shows. <laughs> People hadn't seen Brando for a long time, and I just started imagining that, yeah, he had probably gone nuts on the island that he owned. And, uh, and so we were – yeah, he was a guy – I mean, it started as a – you know, he, he would just be hanging out, sleeping in the airlock, you know, outside the studio. <laughs> and uh, coming on with paper bags full of stuff and telling bad jokes like, you know, I have a letter here for the letterman. (laughs) (laughs) But also like everything laced with a very deep hostility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a really intense – and by everything, I mean everything you as an actor were doing at the time. All yeah. the characters that you were doing were deeply hostile. Well, and I think they still are. I think that's a big part of what I do. I mean, you know, I certainly in Clara's Ghost, you know, he's bitter and and hostile to his, his own family. But the family, they – at least the daughters and – not the mother, but the daughters and, and my character have a thick skin and they are – they're sort of used to um, insulting each other and being competitive with each other. And it's about the family dynamic and how you get typecast in a family the same way you get typecast in show business. And um, they that each – once you start playing a role in your family, you are that person and, and that the mother – is usually the brunt of a lot of the humor in a family that she is usually the the person that the you know the family makes fun of and and she takes it you know um and in this it's a spirit that kind of guides her and gives her some encouragement not to take it I was reading a piece that just came out in the ringer about the history of the film Cabin Boy in which mm-hmm. you were the star and sort of co-creative force behind. I read mm-hmm. that too this morning. It's great. It was a hoot. It is. And I don't know, you know, I mean I would imagine many people in our audience haven't seen the uh the movie Cabin Boy. Um I don't know if I can in good conscience recommend it to most of them. Mhm. Uh, it's a very strange film mm-hmm. uh, that I, I recently rewatched on VHS uh, mm-hmm. and my cabin really enjoyed. Um, but it, it seemed like part of what was going on in that movie is you guys kind of fell into making this movie in a weird way and had to decide there and then, as you were at this point in your career, we're making a movie, maybe we're going to be show business big shots. You'd already had a sitcom on TV, but mm-hmm. maybe we're going to be show business big shots. You had to decide, like, are we going to, like, move to L.A. and be movers and shakers? Mm-hmm. And, uh, in you know, I imagine in, in part the uh, colossal failure of the film commercially, uh, not artistically, uh, answer that question for you. But oh, also absolutely. it seems like you made a choice. Like, you didn't come out to just, like, audition every pilot season for every walk-on role on a sitcom and all that kind of stuff. No, and even before Get a Life, sort of the idea of doing a sitcom didn't seem right for me or for Adam Resnick, who who created Get a Life with me, and and David Merkin. Um, it it 
I knew that if we were going to do a sitcom, it had to become it, it couldn't be <laughs> what I had been making fun of on Letterman for eight years. And it had to be sort of a an extension of that of what I had been doing at for Dave. And and the same with Cabin Boy. I sort of felt like, well, this has to be an extension of what, what we did. And the, I think one of the problems, besides being naive and inexperienced and having no idea exactly what we were doing when we were shooting Cabin Boy, is that the timing of when that movie came out, it came out in a time when comedies were kind of broad uh, very funny, you know, sort of Jim Carrey-esque type comedies. And that's what people expected when they saw a comedy or a funny one-sheet poster. They they expected that. What, what we gave them was a very challenging, in-your-face kind of movie <laughs> that d- d- it can dis- of distressing dis- distress, distress you very easily. It's not, <laughs> other than Melora Walters, it's not a particularly attractive movie. <laughs> There's no actor in it that you lo- is a leading man in the movie. I guess the reason that I think of, like, what a weird impression on me this TV show and also uh, Cabin Boy made a few years later is that, you know, you must have at some point seen those things when you were a kid, Bridie, only it was your dad in them. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, what did you make of them when you were first allowed to see them? Presuming that you were, like, under 15 or however old you have to be to, like, really... Get the meta humor. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I think I saw Ca- uh, Cabin Boy when I was a child, like you know, seven or so, and I think I had a little, um, little poster of it in my room, and um, I remember kind of redrawing the poster as like a kid, and to me, it was just this monster movie, like in the same way, like. Baron von Munchausen, that movie, you right, know, yeah. like it was just like this kind of like creepy thing with like lots of, you know, giants and stuff. I mean, I think our parents showed us weird things. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a lot of The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. The Terry, the, the weird Terry Gilliam film. Yeah. Yes. My that parent, I guess my, was theoretically a family film. Yeah. My parents let me see what and watch Psycho when, yeah. when I was a kid. <laughs> and it was on. Like, no offense, but I think that Cabin Boy might be a weirder thing to show a kid. <laughs> well, I, there was a lot of stuff we didn't let the kids watch that I was in. I, I don't think. I think Cabin Boy. They weren't allowed to watch Everybody Loves Raymond. But. <laughs> yeah, no, they weren't. I, I, no, they weren't allowed to watch something, something about, about Mary. Mary. I didn't want yeah. you watching that. But then that. we wound up watching it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the funniest movie ever." Um, but I didn't. I don't really recall ever being like, "Oh, that's my dad." You know, any sort of making a connection of. I knew it was you, and I knew that's what you did. If anything, like seeing Cabin Boy when I was a kid, and or and just seeing the poster in your room, or not in your room, but like <laughs> <laughs> over the bed, it was just a, a giant. One it was shape. more like in a clo- in the closet. There was the little bat, your little backpack. I would play with like the and the mini fish sticks yeah. when you're uh, for the giant. Yeah. I would play with the props as a kid. But if anything, it just felt like, oh, that was the extension of what you did. Because at home, you know, you would make like cardboard houses for Abby and I to 
play with and we put on like scenes, you know, and it just felt like, oh, you play, this is the big version of that. Right, um, right. And, and yeah, I think I saw it again, again uh, when I was like 17 and like understood that it was like a really, really funny movie. Oh, that's and, nice. you know, but there was no time where I was like, oh, this movie sucks or anything or you know, I, I I think I got it right away. So you didn't get on that bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> on this is... No, I didn't write. Well, your mom bad review. Paula didn't watch it till about five years ago. It was <laughs> no. the first time she saw it because um, she was traumatized. Well, she knew it, I was traumatized yes. yeah. and, by it, and that you know she couldn't she couldn't bring herself to to watch it, but for that reason, because she knew how uh, it was it was a traumatic experience, which it was. Not, there, there's not no so doubt much... about it. Not so much the part, the the process of making it as the the way that it ended up being received. Yeah, I, and I think Adam would agree with me. We still don't totally get why it was vilified to the extent that it was. You know, there were other bad movies that came out around that time, bad comedies that were allowed to come and go. But I and think not a, be thought of and to me, to me, and I don't mean to cut you off. No, to me, please. Maybe the difference for somebody watching that movie in 1993 or whenever it was that it came out mm-hmm. is Three Ninjas mm-hmm. is a terrible film. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I haven't seen it. No mm-hmm. offense to any of the ninjas. Right. Um, but I'm sure Three Ninjas is terrible. Mm-hmm. It is an attempt to please the audience in a very general child friendly mm-hmm. way yeah. it's yeah. very genial yeah um i think that if you don't appreciate if you're not on board for the tone of cabin boy mm-hmm. it could feel actively hostile well i think you're right <laughs> like, it I could think feel like right. an affront but i think that's what i was doing on letterman too i, yeah. I, I there was never this Feeling like, oh, we have to please the audience. And uh, I guess when you make a movie and it's going to be a comedy and it's going to come out and it's going to have Tim Burton's name on it, producing it and all that. Yeah, you should probably consider the audience when you're making it. But um, there weren't – it wasn't like uh, – and now I will admit that, you know, I like getting laughs. Um, it's not It's not that. I, I just – I think it it we just sort of assumed the audience would be on board with it with on on board with the the whole ride that we were we were doing and um and they weren't for for you know I think nowadays and it does have this this cult following now which is really gratifying to see and I think it's because people uh have more patience um for uh, you know, if the movie had come out as an independent, say, as, as opposed to a, you know, a, a studio film with Tim Burton's name on it and all that um, nowadays, you know, maybe maybe people would have had would have more patience for it. More with Bridie and Chris Elliott when we come back from a quick break. Chris Elliott will tell me why he doesn't tweet. I think anyone needs an excuse to not be on Twitter. I kind of wish I wasn't on Twitter sometimes. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. At Jesse Thorne. Please follow and like me. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Withings, creator of the Wi-Fi Smart Scale. Meet your goals with a smart scale that delivers weight, BMI, and body composition, even a local weather report. 
See why Tom's Guide named Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale of 2018. Visit withings.com slash NPR for 30% off any body composition scale. Withings, giving people the tools they need to improve their lives. Hey, it's Guy Raz here. And on the next How I Built This, how two women with no background in fitness set up some stationary bikes, dimmed the lights, boosted the music, and created a cult following in a multi-million dollar business called SoulCycle. You can find How I Built This wherever you listen to podcasts. Friendly Fire is a war movie podcast, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. Boy, I'll say. You know, a lot of people, Ben and Adam, might not initially watch a war movie podcast. What's in it for me, they say. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's in it for you. What's in it for you is a biting socio-political commentary, uh, scattered dick and fart jokes. <laughs> And a lot of history, like there's the depicted wars, but also the history of the time period that these films were made and released. They're very telling. So download Friendly Fire every Friday from your favorite podcatcher. Or MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm here with Bridie Elliott and her dad, comedian Chris Elliott. Bridie wrote and directed the new movie Clara's Ghost, which is available to rent and buy online now. It is a weird, scary, and sometimes deeply, deeply funny movie starring the entire Elliot family, Chris, Bridie, Abby, and Paula. Is it uh, weird to have a dad who has this show business career that is entirely meaningless to most And, like, profoundly meaningful to some. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you never know if somebody figures out your dad is Chris Elliott. You never know whether they're going to, like, make you list his credits until you get to, uh, you know, Everybody Loves Raymond. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, Raymond. I like that. I'm more of an Andy Kindler fan. but um, And then uh, or or if they're going to be like, oh, my God. Uh, I had a license plate. I'm Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone on some dates where it's like a, I'm in love with you. Will you marry me tomorrow? Thing. And it's, uh, that was gross. But, um, no, I think it actually has, you know, made me uh, possibly more cynical about the whole thing, the whole idea of what success is. Um, and uh, what it means and um, but also more realistic. And I do think, you know, I did not go into this business with stars in my eyes or any sort of expectation of, you know, well, I've come from success. I'm going to have to, you know, be successful right away. Um, I think I think for me, it's it's been more like, oh, it's all an illusion and unpredictable and weird. And um, that's made it in more recent years, you know, more freeing. I think I, I think I definitely when I said that, I was like, oh, that's a lie. I totally expected <laughs> I totally expected to be successful right away well, because it I, happened for, you know, Abby very fast. Yes. And yeah. and then, you know, it was sort of. I kind of had to shed that to, right. you know, then take baby steps. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think once, 
when you were on Eagle Heart and like, you know, the people that were watching it were obsessed and then the people that hadn't heard of it, you know, had right. no idea what it was. Like, I think that was indicative to me of like, oh, OK, like mm-hmm. it's really all, you know, the world is a different place than, you know. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I don't know. There's opportunities, venues, places to go. Uh, you know, um, it's it's hard to define what is success. You know, right now, um, and I, you know, I've never felt like my career. I, I've I've been very lucky and really happy that I've been able, especially thanks to Dave, was able to have a house early on and raise a family and and have a, a, a regular income and all that. So you were like 25 when Abby was born. Or no, you were 25 when you got married. I mean, yeah. you were just young when you guys settled down. Yeah, yeah we we were. And, and I was talking to mom about it. It was like we were kind of playing house because we were, we were kids who could, you know, living in, we bought a house and, and, and we were living in a neighborhood with older people, you know, and having cocktails and a bar in our house. It was like we were just pretending, you know, um, for a long time. It sort of felt like that. And that's how we, we got into it. But I don't, the idea of success, like there, you can do something nowadays and work for 20 years and or you know 15 and people don't know what you're doing <laughs> but you're buying a house mm-hmm. and you're settling down mm-hmm. and you're having a family or mm-hmm. whatever because you're it, there are these venues podcasts there's you know internet all these places that, to work and all these cable channels you know that that people don't know about but have shows that have been on the air for many years. Those first signature things that you did in your career, appearing on Letterman, uh, Get a Life, and Cabin Boy. Yeah. They're all top-tier <laughs> weird things. And they're like the last time you could do something that weird and put it in front of millions of people. Right. Like, right. Get a Life was on after The Simpsons, and yeah. The Simpsons was the biggest cultural phenomenon right. in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, people were mad about uh, Cabin Boy because it wasn't uh, in the army now or whatever. Right, right, right. Whereas Eagle Heart was on for people who would enjoy Eagle Heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like don't have to worry that much about the anti-Eagle Heart community being bothered by Eagle Heart. Right. No, that's so yeah. true. That's so true. Yeah. And And I, you know, who knows what my stuff how it would have if i was 21 now how it would go over you know out there on adult swim or someplace you know i you know back then without all those other venues you know if something happened in the news and i wanted to parody it or i wanted to make fun of it or do a a impersonation of it i had a good week to think of something to do I, I usually tried to beat saturday night live maybe but that's about it you know when i was working at letterman uh nowadays something happens and someone you know 21 years old has something a brilliant parody of it up within 10 minutes you know online yeah, and they're but funny it's also disposable well i always thought what i did was that's what i why i liked 
television so much because I th- and especially Letterman because I and this is why I can't all I you know people will bring up stuff that I did on Dave and I have absolutely no memory of it because that week I would do it and then I'd forget about it because I had to think about what I'm going to do in the uh, you know the next week and and to me it was so disposable the thing about movies that bothered me at the time especially with Cabin Boy was that it was not disposable it actually stayed on video shelves it stayed in people's minds and it stayed it stayed around and uh um you were upset you had to live with the consequences <laughs> of your actions with that movie absolutely <laughs> absolutely with gotta, letterman sorry go uh, ahead, i was Brian. gonna suggest that you get an instagram account like will smith does and he puts out funny videos i don't know why aren't you doing more okay. Will Smith stuff? <laughs> no, I, He's been I rapping just, again recently, too. I, I just, That's I don't fun. know. I, I, I feel a little bit like that passed me by a bit, you know, the computer, internet, you know, tweeting and all that kind of stuff. He's making and, bad boys. And, and like I said to you, I think a lot of... Your stuff is brilliant that's on that you put online. But, but I'm it, not like a serial comedy maker of No, but online. you'll put funny things up there and and so will your sister. So will Abby. And to me, the my generation, I think, well you're giving away your material. Hold on to that. Put it put it in a in a file and keep it in a box and use it in a movie. Don't don't put it out there as a tweet. And maybe that's why I don't tweet. I don't know. I know Steve Martin does. I know, you know, all these people do and they're and they're brilliant and they have all these followers and and they it might be fun for them and maybe good practice. I think with me, I would just like I don't know. I think a lot of my stuff has to be explained, and and <laughs> and tweeting, tweeting doesn't give me enough time to explain what I mean. You were never exactly Henny Youngman. No, the... no, <laughs> <laughs> no. The and, amount of explanation I had to do for the banana dance, well, which and, we played, like just to explain why someone would think that's funny. Right, right. And and the thing, you know, that's to me, that's the best comedy is stuff that uh, you can't really explain. Chris and Bridie Elliott, I sure appreciate you to taking the time to be on Bullseye. It was really nice to get to talk to you. Thanks, Thank Jesse. Thank you so much, Jesse. Bridie and Chris Elliott. Their film Clara's Ghost is available to rent or buy now. They're probably one of the most talented families I've ever met. Uh, give the movie a look. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where our senior producer, Laura, drove past quite a scene on her way home after a late-night recording session last night. Uh, there was a fire truck blocking part of a westbound lane. There was some kind of suspect detained on the sidewalk standing in front of the concrete fence. She slowed down. She tried to check it out. Couldn't figure out what was up. Then, what's this? One of the palm trees is charred black? Yes, it was. You can probably tell I'm just reading from the email Laura sent us about this. If you know what the heck was going on, please tell us. Living in the city is fun. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We have help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow here at Max Fun is Shayna Deloria. Our interstitial music comes from Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Thanks, as always, to Dan for sharing it. He does have a collection of his music from Bullseye, by the way, up on Bandcamp. Just search for DJW Bullseye Music. 
Our theme music is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for providing that music to us. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, there are hundreds on our website. Just go to MaximumFun.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.